Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You see it, for example, in Leviticus 4.2, Leviticus 4.2, if a soul sin. If a soul sin, because it's not the body or any part of the body that, that sins, it's the soul that sins. So this is a little shocking when you think about this mummification process here to think that this is what they did to the body of the patriarch, Jacob. You know, it reminds me in the 70s when I worked at the VA hospital in La Jolla, actually, it's Mercy Hospital first in Hillcrest, both the jobs. Part of my job was to analyze human tissue, and I had to go down to the morgue and, and get the body parts which I'd never done before. And, and, and anyway, I don't have a lot of experience seeing dead bodies. And so I remember the first time I opened the door to the morgue and, and I was in a state of shock. I kind of stood there, you know, for a while as I couldn't believe my eyes. There was like a half a dozen bodies on these tables in various forms of having been dissected. And, and, I, and I was surprised I didn't end up on the floor passed out. But one thing was clear to me as I looked at these bodies they're being dissected. One thing that was clear was that those were just shells. The people were gone. The people were no longer there. And all that remained of the people was what they abandoned or deserted, which was the shell they lived in. Well, so the point is that Jacob was no longer in that shell when Joseph was kissing the cold, pale face. And, and, and Jacob was no longer in the shell when the, embal- the embalmers worked all those days and uh, to try to make them look as best as they could. Now we read in verse 3, the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. Now here's another question. Why do you suppose the Egyptians mourned for Jacob? I mean, it's remarkable. He wasn't Egyptian. Why did they mourn for him? Because of Joseph, yeah. I mean, it shows how much the Egyptians loved Joseph. And, and when they saw Joseph was crushed, by the death of his father, then the Egyptians joined Joseph and they mourned for him 70 days. Now we read next that um, what Joseph did in verse 4. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying. So here we go. 70 days of mourning has passed. It's time for Jacob's body to be buried. And that's what Joseph now is proceeding to do in verse 4. Now, when you look at verse 4, what do you find unusual about how Joseph asked Pharaoh for permission to leave? What's unusual? Yeah, it wasn't directly, right? I mean, Joseph did not go to Pharaoh to speak directly. Why? Why? I mean, after all, Joseph and, and, and Pharaoh had a great relationship. It was based on trust. It was based on openness. Joseph in the past had asked Pharaoh directly for permission to bring Jacob into Egypt. 
So why now? Why now didn't Joseph just go speak directly to Pharaoh to ask permission to, to leave? Why do you think? What this shows is very important because it shows the heart of Joseph. I mean, even though Joseph was the ruler over Egypt, Joseph was making a statement, and it's or he was displaying, he was still humble. He was humble. He was humble, so he, he, he felt like others should ask for me. Even though Joseph was the ruler over Egypt, he still put himself in the hands of God. And Joseph let others carry this vital message for him to, to Pharaoh with the idea that if God wants it to happen, it'll happen this way. It's, it, it's a little bit like putting the fleece out that Gideon did. And even though Joseph was ruler over Egypt, he wanted also to show the household of Pharaoh how much he trusted them with such an important job as to ask Pharaoh for permission to leave. I mean, Joseph wanted to give the people he worked the closest with, which was Pharaoh's household, the, their opportunity to show love to Joseph and that Joseph could trust them. So he made himself vulnerable by, by putting himself into their hands. Now, just look at what Joseph said to them in verse 4. He said, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh. I mean, this is amazing. If I have found grace in your eyes? I mean, doesn't that sound like a servant asking his master? You know, for is this really the ruler over all Egypt speaking to his speaking to slaves? I mean, is this really the ruler of Egypt making himself lower than them? I mean, to see Joseph doing this, I mean, Joseph has made himself lower than the slaves that they should, and that he should beg them to speak for him to Pharaoh. I mean, is that it? I mean, we can't believe this scene. I mean, and, he, and with that scene in mind, now think about the scene in Philippians 2.5. In Philippians 2.5, which says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or just say he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I mean, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. I mean, is this really the one? who, from John 1, 1, who, is this the one who, who was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Is this really the one who all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made, who takes upon him now the form of a certain servant? Is this really the judge of all men, making himself the lowest group of men, servant? I mean, to see the Lord God Almighty doing this, I mean, has the Lord God Almighty really made himself to be a servant of men? And, and, and has, has he become as described, as he's described in Psalm 22, 6? I am a worm, no man, a reproach of men, despise of the people. Has God become a worm? Has God become a no man? Has God become a reproach of men and despised the people? And, and is this really the same one? Or how about the scene of John 13.3? John 13.3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He's got it all. And that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And, he, and after that, he poureth water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Is this really God? Is this God washing the feet of fishermen? And, and in 2 Corinthians 8 9, where it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Is this really the creator? Is this the giver of all wealth and contains all, the one who has all wealth? He's making himself poor? It, then we look at him when he was at the well, Jacob, at, at Jacob's well, John 4 6, John 4 6, the Lord Jesus. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Is this really the creator of water asking water from a woman of the street? And yes, it is, because this is who the Lord Jesus is. He is the essence of humility. And all these verses show that the Lord Jesus is God who humbled himself, who is humble and serving others. So when you look at verse 4 in Genesis 30, 50, when you look at verse 4, is this the commander and the ruler of all Egypt asking servants to re- make a request for his leaf from Pharaoh? Yes, because this is just who Joseph is. He's a humble man. He's a man who's trusting God. He's a, a loving person who trusts others. So Verse 5 is so important because what it does, I mean verse 4 rather, what it does, verse 4 is so important because it, it, it sets Joseph apart from others. He's the humble man. And if you want to think about who Joseph is, look at verse 4. This is Joseph. This is Joseph in, 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 in verse 4. And you think about this verse 4 and you want to just sort of really encapsulate who Joseph is. Think about verse 4 and think about Joseph resisting Potiphar's wife's temptations. And now you get a picture of a clean-hearted, humble man. That's Joseph. And so we see him in verse 4. He's asking for mercy from the servants and appealing to how they feel about him. If now I have found grace in your eyes, verse 4. What a scene of humility. All right, then Joseph, he, he tells, tells Pharaoh's household what they were to tell Pharaoh on behalf of Joseph in verse 5. He says to him, you say, my father made me swear, saying, lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. Now, from verse 5, we learn something that we didn't know before. What is it? What was there from Joseph's statement in verse 5 that we learned that we didn't know before? Joseph being buried... We're talking about verse 5, that the grave had been digged before. We didn't know that. In verse 5, my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. We didn't know that. We didn't know that Jacob had already dug a grave for himself. I mean, evidently, you know, Jacob had gone into this cave of Machpelah that Abraham was, had purchased, was buried there along with Isaac and Leah. And, and Jacob went in there and dug the grave for himself in that cave. I mean, uh, I wonder of us, how many have dug our own grave? <laughs> what do you think? It, you have, Tim, okay. All right. No, I mean, literally, though. What do you think it'd be like to dig your own grave? I mean, uh, Jacob did. I mean, you know, it's like you go over to Don's house and, uh, you know, hey, Don, uh, what'd you do yesterday? Oh, I dug my own grave. Okay. I mean, what would it be like to dig your own grave in your backyard and look at it every day? 
And then when people come over and say, say, what's that big hole in your backyard? You're going to make a jacuzzi out there? And, and you said, no, that's my grave. I dug my own grave. I mean, then there'd be this shock of silence. You know, people would say, dug your own grave? Uh-huh. Okay. You know what? We got to go now. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get together later. Right now, we got to go. And this is what Jacob did. Jacob did. From verse 5, we learn he actually dug his own grave. And it was a, you know, and this sort of idea of shock of silence that reminds me of, of this shock of silence when a few weeks ago that uh, when I, we were in Barcelona on the busy Las Ramblas, which is, you know, packed with people about three weeks ago. And Gerardo and I were, were, were standing there and we were trying to, dis, we were de- trying to decide and we were discussing which Jewish restaurant we should go to. Should it be Maccabee or Shakshuk? And, and we're discussing this back and forth, and all of a sudden this guy walks by out of nowhere, and he says, go to Shakshuk. <laughs> but, okay. And so, so then I, I ran after him. I said, hey, are you Jewish? And he says, of course. You know, of course. There's all these Catholic people all over, but of course he's Jewish. And I said, well, I'm also Jewish. And I, and I gave him my booklet, you know, the, the little book that I always carry around with me, you know, how, 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 how a Jew came to put his trust in the Lord Jesus. Only he didn't have this young picture of me on anyway. And, and it came to put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had this stunned look of silence. He sat there and he said, a, he said like this, he goes, a Jew, Jesu Christo, Jesu Christo, Jesu Christo. That's what he said. Anyways, it's all this to say that it was kind of shocking that Jacob dug his own grave. Really has nothing to do with it, but all right, never mind. Now, what do you think that tells you about Jacob that he dug his own grave? Okay. What do you think, what, do you, what, what does that tell you about Jacob, that he dug his own? It's unusual. Okay, so he wanted to, re- he dug his own grave so there'd be no doubt as to where he was to be buried. So you're supposed, I dug my own grave. We didn't know it before, but evidently in this conversation that Jacob had with Joseph, Joseph says, you bring me back to the Mount Pila, to the cave of, of Machpelah. It was purchased, it was in the place of the Hittites, in the land of Mamre, and he evidently said more. He said, and I dug my own grave there. So don't even have any question about where in the grave you should, the, the cave you should put me. There's a hole there already. Okay. What else does it tell about Jacob? Yeah, he's just passing through. So he was not planning on living very long when he dug that grave. I mean, uh, after all, you know, you dig your grave, you better use it pretty soon. Otherwise, dirt might fall back in it. And then you got to dig it again. So he was planning, he wasn't planning on being around very long. He's just passing through there. And, um, and you know, and, and as Tim said, he didn't want to be like Rachel. He didn't want to get buried under some tree. He want, it had to be back there. So he's digging his own grave. Now, uh, verse five, when you look at it, there's something very significant the way he put this. You notice this in my grave, which I have digged for me. See that emphasis there? <laughs> it's in my grave, which I have digged for me. It's like Jacob is saying with these words that his grave, he dug for himself. There better not be any other body laying in that grave. That's my grave, you know. But, you know, in other words, he's saying to everybody, they're saying to everybody, stay out of my grave. And, and it really looks like Jacob is kind of looking forward to dying. You know, it looks like, a, he, you know, he, he in, in his blessing, you remember, he said, I've waited for thy salvation kind of looking forward to, as you mentioned, to going home, to be gathered to his people. And uh, he, so he's really kind of saying by this act, he's saying, you know what? I'm ready to die. There's nothing holding me back. I dug my own grave. So I'm ready to die. 
It's funny that, that what people think they have to do before they die. You know, like my sister-in-law, Marsha Cohen, when she died, she knew she was going to die when they, when they took her to the hospital and she had septicemia. And it was, and she knew that. But before she left the house, you know what the most important thing with her, for her was? Bobby, take the trash out. <laughs> she had to see the trash taken out before she would die. You know, well, well, when Jacob dug his grave, he was ready to die. And what do you think? He, and and, and he, he said, okay, that's the last thing I got to do. I just got to dig my grave. Now I'm ready to die. What do you think in your life that you need to accomplish before you die? Take the trash out? You know? <laughs> dig your own grave? Yeah, you have to trust other people to, to, to carry it out. And that's why he made them swear. He made, he made Joseph swear that he's going to, I'm trusting you, you know, to do this. Okay, so what do you need to do before you die? What do you think? So you gotta, I gotta get this done. How about that? How about that relative that you just don't feel that you've done all you could do to persuade to come to the Lord Jesus and, and, and be saved? How about that friend, that friend that you just have this kind of like deep aching sorrow in your gut? You just feel, you know, if my friend died today, he would go straight to hell. And that troubles me. Or how about the scene in Schindler's List where, where, where after the war, Oscar Schindler is standing there and he's, he's thinking about all the Jews that he saved and, and he could have saved. And then he looks down on his coat and he sees that gold pin. He says, oh, if I just would have sold this gold pin, I could have, I could have used the money to bribe to, to, to save more Jews. We see at the end of verse 5 that Joseph made the promise, as was stated, uh, when he says in the end of verse 5, I will come again. I will come again. Now, let me ask you, why do you think that Joseph sent this message that if Pharaoh let him go bury his father, that he promised to come back again? Why did Joseph say this, I will come again? Faithfulness? Okay. Yeah. I mean, just think of what was happening here. Joseph, he wasn't going alone to this burial. He was taking every single one of his family members He's taking every single one of his family members out of Egypt back to his home, back to his homeland. I mean, there was no more famine there anymore. And after all, it was the famine that drove all of his family members to leave their homeland and come to Egypt. The famine's gone. The famine's passed. I mean, uh, when, when Jacob was in Syria, Laban said to him in Genesis 31.30, Genesis 31.30, and now, though thou wouldst need be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house. I mean, Jacob sore longed to go home, and it was understandable that Joseph also would also sore long to go home again. Remember when he was down in the prison, and Joseph said that, uh, you know, there was, that, that there was no reason that he should be there, and he should be back home. So what happened here is that Joseph could have verily, very easily, he could have said, when he was there, hey, we're all back in our homeland. Hey, there's a lot of food here. The famine is past. Hey, there's no real reason to go back to, to this foreign land of Egypt. Let's make a break for it. Let's make the great escape and, and not return to Egypt. And of course, everybody else, I don't know what they would But anyway, Joseph knew that Pharaoh was going to think that. He understood that. And so that's why Joseph then turns to Pharaoh and says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And that's why he says at the end of verse 5, I'll come back again. I will come again. 
Now, this also provides, as I was mentioning here, another reason why Joseph chose to have Pharaoh's servants uh, make this request instead of Joseph himself. Why? Because when Joseph did that, Joseph was sending the message to Pharaoh that although Joseph has become the ruler of Egypt, he still remembers what Pharaoh told him when he made him ruler over Egypt in Genesis 41.40. In Genesis 41.40, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So Joseph knew that Pharaoh knew that Joseph was always faced with the temptation to do what Satan did. Satan yielded to this temptation in Isaiah 14.3. Isaiah 14.3, when, uh, when, it, when it was spoken about Satan, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. So Satan said, I'm going to rise up over God. And, uh, and, and so by having the servants of Pharaoh, instead of Joseph himself, go directly to Pharaoh, Joseph is sending the message to Pharaoh that I'm still bowing to you, Pharaoh. I'm still bowing to you, and there's no rebellion in my heart. And then in verse 6, we see the wonderful truth that Pharaoh believed Joseph. He believed Joseph. He believed he was going to be loyal to him. He was going to return again, and he gives his answer without any hesitation. In verse 6, Pharaoh said, Go up, bury thy father according as he made thee swear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, the life of Joseph, his obedience to you, his humility. Lord, we, we thank you for his special act of love. We pray, Lord, that you would, you, would, uh, you would, Lord, help us to have that same love to you, obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. 
early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Get into the Christmas spirit this year with the Friendship with God Christmas album and hymnal book. With over 50 different arrangements on holiday classics, this four-disc set features solo vocalists, group ensembles, and classical piano tracks, and is perfect for road trips, family get-togethers, and holiday parties. In addition to the audio CDs, you'll also receive a copy of the largest hymnal ever published. Containing over a thousand hymns and melodies, this hardbound hymnal book and CD set make for a great gift this holiday season. Order this Christmas bundle today for just $29.99 online at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information, call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.